meaningful because we believe that God has something meaningful for all of us when we gather together as the tribe. So whether you are here or whether you are sitting in your living room, whether you are dressed up, whether you are dressed down, or whether you're still in your PJs, we are so glad that you, know, you decided to join with us today. Um, one of the great challenges of being a, a pastor is that uh, once a year, you have to deal with the Christmas season. And the challenge, of course, is trying to keep the Christmas story fresh. Now, I know that sounds a little strange, right? It sounds, you know, a, a little bit like I'm whining, but the truth of the matter is I know lots of pastors who actually avoid the Advent season altogether. They don't even preach an Advent series at all. They just find a series, they stick with it, and then they talk about Christmas on Christmas Eve or maybe the week after, depending on where the actual um, holiday falls, okay? So I'm not the only one who's wrestled with this a little bit. But on the other hand, um, like you, I like to read and reread the Christmas story over and over and over again because it's familiar and it's something that we do. And in fact, we have bumper stickers that say, keep Christ in Christmas. So it's got to be real, right? I mean, come on. We like to, um, we like to reread the story. And the important factor, at least in my mind, the most important factor um, to keep the story both, I would say, relevant and meaningful, I guess I'll use those two words, relevant and meaningful, is, is quite simply built in this word context. You know, I love talking about context, and I think it's everything in order for us to understand things. But I do believe that there are at least two factors that affect our understanding of biblical stories, and especially the Christmas story. Okay, so I wanna, wanna make sure that I'm kinda couching this, kind of setting this in the right spot when we talk about context. Because I think, that, I think there's two factors here. And the first factor is ignorance. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to, to, to criticize anything, but the fact of the matter is that the story that we call the Christmas story actually occurred 2,000 years ago, all right? So the further distance we are in time, and frankly, culture, um, changes how we view the story. Uh, we read our, our own context into the story sometimes, I think often. And this is the reason why I, I tell you every time we open up the Bible, we're tourists because we don't necessarily understand what the culture is um, when, we, when we read parts of the story. And so we're, we're kind of battling against that. So there's a certain amount of ignorance that's in play. And again, I'm not trying to be mean, it's just the reality of the circumstances. And so what I would say is that we may not have a full picture or a full idea of the culture, of the history, of the literature. We're, we, we may not have all of that. And, and so um, you, you've got to keep that in mind when we read and reread these stories. Now, here's the thing, though. I don't want anybody going home today thinking that because they don't have an advanced degree in biblical studies, they can't read the Bible and understand it. Because that's just not true, all right? 
But what I would say for every person, and this is the approach that I take as well, is that I'm going to read, I'm going to learn with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be my guide, but I'm going to do it with a certain amount of humility. Because I don't have all of the little nuances. That doesn't mean I can't learn anything, but it it means that I have to be humble enough to recognize that. Does this make sense to you, what I'm saying? I think it's an, an important feature. I recognize right up front that I may be ignorant of certain things. And so I want to keep my interpretations uh, of, of the text, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say loosely, but I just want to be careful. I want to be humble about it. So that's the first factor. And the second factor, I think, um, that affects our understanding of the Bible is familiarity. So kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe. Um, we've heard the, 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 the stories, a lot of these stories, so many times that we, we're, we're more interested in actually hearing the story and then sometimes we lose the meaning when things get familiar. It, it's like that, that dent in the wall in the house that you don't even see anymore because it's been there for so long, like maybe one of the kids rammed into it or whatever and you just haven't been able to fix it or something along those lines or you hang a picture over it or something, you mean, you know it's there, but it's familiar to you, and so you don't see some of the nuances or some of the details or some of the lessons within the story. Now, let me give you another example, a better example of this. Have you ever tried to read a beloved book to a toddler and either missed a word or used a different word instead? Has that ever happened to you? Because you know what happens, right? You're reading it wrong. It's got nothing to do with, you know, oh, you made a mistake. No, 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 no. You're reading it wrong. (laughs) Because it's so familiar. It doesn't matter that the word that I used actually means the same thing. I didn't use the right word. And so we have to be careful with those types of, of, um, of stories that are familiar to us. We have to be careful of familiarity that makes sense. So let me give you an example within the Christmas story itself, and hopefully this will be, this will be useful to everyone. So I'm going to read um, beginning in Luke chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there or punch it into your Bible app. So here we go, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Actually, I'm going to read through, I think, about 38. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a young woman pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The young woman's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a young woman? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now I kind of made it obvious. <laughs> right? 
Well, <clears throat> I think you noticed it. <laughs> Turns out that that particular term can be translated either way. A young woman of marriageable age or a virgin. Both are acceptable. And what's interesting to me is that we find the same thing in, he, in the Hebrew language as we do in Greek. Here's the, the verse that we, we looked at last week, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Again, in Hebrew, the word can be translated either way. Young woman or a virgin, right? So you have to think about this in context, historical context. Isaiah is giving this prophecy to a king. And the king um, is um, going to have a son. And so he would have, very likely, a harem of uh, women that he had uh, uh, basically contracts with other other. Uh, other countries and other kingdoms, and what they would do is they would often uh, kind of seal the deal with a marriage. Nice, huh? But the young woman um, who would have been part of this king's harem would conceive and give birth to a son, a young woman. So at that particular moment in time, the term makes sense to translate as young woman, a woman of marriageable age, okay? However, it was fulfilled in a king named Hezekiah. So there's four great kings of Israel, or four good kings. You've got first David, then you have Solomon, and then there's a big long period, you have Hezekiah, and then finally Josiah, which is the fourth. This is Hezekiah, one of the good kings, and he was prophesied. It was gonna happen. So the young woman will conceive. And so that whole thing, this piece here, was very important to that group of people at that point in time, and it makes sense. However, when we look at it now, it's completely, utterly, totally fulfilled in Jesus. The other part of the term, the virgin part, is fulfilled. So in that case, you can translate the word either way, and both were fulfilled. Does this make sense? Right? So here we have, virgin will conceive. So we're familiar with this story, but we're ignorant of the language. Does that make sense? We, we end up being in that tension between the two. And with this part of the story, um, it's, it's very possible that we miss the bigness of it all. The fact that there was a prophecy that was partially ful fulfilled, but then completely fulfilled later on. And both are true. And it's, it's, it's a view into the character and nature of God. God always plays the long game. Always. Now sometimes there are short-term things that actually occur for us, but God is in the business of the long game. He always is. And so here we see that. Partially fulfilled in the time of Hezekiah, probably 300 B.C.-ish, Okay, fully um, 
complete and fulfilled in Jesus some three, four hundred years later. Keep that in mind. Now, let's check in on the other part of the, of the Christmas couple, shall we? Okay, let's check in on the other one. So, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Here's a little bit of language. Jesus is a version of the word Joshua, or Yeshua, which means Savior, or one who saves in Hebrew, okay? <clears throat> All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Oh, this is going to sound familiar. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Interesting, right? Yeah. So Joe is a really great guy, isn't he? I mean, he's just, he's just really good. He's righteous all the way through, takes you know, care of Mary, and they had this cool dream and everything. The trouble is, um, in this particular story, in this particular story, it's so familiar to us that we forget something. We forget that these are real people. Mary and Joseph were actual living human beings, not unlike you. And they were dealing with some very real problems, not unlike you and your set of circumstances. Oh, and they didn't have the benefit of being able to read the end of the story. Again, not unlike you. They're real. They actually had these sets of problems, and they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And so in saying yes to God, when, when both Mary said, may it be as, as, if you, have, as you have said, and, and Joseph got up and he, he took Mary as his wife, when, when they said yes to God, they risked a lot of things. Mary risked, at the very minimum, a certain amount of ostracism and ridicule, slander, for sure, the possibility of disownment by her family. And in the worst-case scenario, she could have potentially been stoned for this. However, unlikely, given the laws of the Roman occupation. But it was a real possibility. You're in a backwater place without a big Roman presence. Who knows? People take the law into their own hands. Joseph also risked. He took on the responsibility for something that he didn't do. <clears throat> and he too faced criticisms and rumors. And frankly, the other thing that he took was the pain of watching his wife be ridiculed and slandered. Think about that, guys. <clears throat> I 
make no mistake, there are massive repercussions for these two people to say yes to God, for following him closely. Certainly disownment from their families. Would Joseph be able to find work now? I mean, his reputation is now questionable at this point. Now, there is some evidence to suggest that once Mary and Joseph actually went to Bethlehem, remember, because, you know, they're going to get taxed and that's where they're going to have the baby. And there's some evidence that they actually stayed there a number of years. And there's no, there's no wonder. Bethlehem is a big city compared to Galilee. It would have been a lot easier to blend into a bigger crowd and not, having, not have to deal with some of the small... How many of you grew up in a small town and you know exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah. It can happen reputations. It's easier to deal um, with some of that stuff in a faraway place. It's a real people. This is a young couple. They're still getting to know each other to a certain extent. And they're in this high-pressure situation. Oh, which, by the way, has this divine aspect to it, right? Talk about high pressure. There's that, as, that piece of the puzzle as well. This had to have been absolutely terrifying for them. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that kind of stress and that kind of pressure that the two of them were under. But you know, one of the things that I love about God so much is the fact that he knows what we need and he will often uh, supply us with the things that will sustain us, that will help us um, with the stuff that we need. Yes, he, he, he loves us, and yes, yes, he loves to challenge us, but we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to be alone in those challenges. And this is why, this is why, listen to me, listen. This is why he sent an angel. This is why he sent an angel directly to Mary and and to Joseph in a dream. This is why he gave them the vision. Because they would need a sign to somehow sustain them when things got rough and they were going to get rough. I know what they're saying about you, Mary. I'm sorry that you had to hear that. But remember, you found favor with God and we're going to have a baby. Joseph, how did the job interview go? Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get the job. That's okay. God will take care of us somehow because he took care of us then. You see, they could remind each other could remind each other that God was present with them, that he was there in the, in the mix. And they could remind themselves of that. And so here's the, here's the point. Here's the big idea. This is the thing I want you to walk away from. This, you know, with, you know, when, you, when, you, when you walk out of here, here's the thing I want you to remember. You ready? Here it is. The bigger the sign, the bigger the assignment. The bigger the sign, the greater the assignment. Sometimes the assignment is so big, you need a miraculous sign to help sustain you through. And here we have the earthly parents of a divine child. That's a pretty big assignment, would you agree? So they needed something like an angel showing up and saying what he said. I recall moving here to Tulsa now eight years ago, eight years. And I remember um, the process that we went through and um, we didn't really have any other um, 
opportunities on our, on our radar, not in a very real sense. And so God made it very clear that we were moving to Oklahoma. Very clear. Now, it wouldn't be what I would call, like, you know, I had a dream. I did start seeing a lot of license plates from Oklahoma, though. That must be a sign, right? No, not quite. But the point is, is that God made it clear that this is where we were going. It wasn't miraculous. It was just something that all of the circumstances began, began to, to line up over a period of time. And if you ask one of the people that was on the search committee for a new pastor, um, I was a long shot. And they will tell you that. And when we, when we got here, after about two years, it was clear that I was here for a very specific reason. Um, and I needed that. I needed to remind myself, and I remember Lisa and I talking about this, because there were moments where things got rough and we were like, why are we here? What are we doing? Oh my gosh, I can't believe we moved across the country. We're away from our families. We're, uh. But you know what? There wasn't an opportunity. God made it clear that this is where we were going to go. This is what we were going to do. I needed that. I needed that to get through some of those moments that were, were rough. And I'm grateful for that kind of clarity to keep pressing forward when needed to. Listen, you're probably not going to get a burning bush for, for that job interview. You're probably not going to get, you know, the burning bush, you know, if you're trying to make a decision on, on to buy a new car. I don't know. Um, and you're probably not going to get one when there's a, some other major life decision that you have to make. I mean, it's possible, but God most likely will allow things to align and begin to nudge and prompt you in certain ways, but I don't necessarily think that he's going to give you uh, something miraculous, something spectacular, unless it's going to be a massive challenge, unless it's going to be something that you need to sustain you through those things, which is why we continually press on the idea to, and, and to encourage you to find time and ways to connect with God. So if you're not going to get the miraculous sign, it's a really good idea to be connected to him so that he can guide you and lead you and prompt you and put things in your heart and, and change direction and course correct and those types of things. That's why we encourage that. Because see, here's the thing is, that I think sometimes, and I just heard this the other day that really struck me, we think that God wants to like direct us and I, even I use that term, you know, God's directing or guiding and whatnot. But I think what God really wants to do is empower us. And, and that's different to me. It's a very different thing. Yes, you might get some guidance and dire direction, but I think God wants to empower us um, to do beautiful things, to be the kind of person that God wants us to ultimately be, what, you know, what he wants you to be. Not so much this idea of, of being kind of this robot, Go here, do that. I mean, that can occur, I suppose, but that's not a relationship. That's just, I don't know what that is. I guess it's robotic. But you understand what I'm saying. But God wants to empower us for those things. And so when he gives us these massive assignments, he's going to give you a massive sign to, to carry you through. But for the rest of the stuff, we still need his, his input and we need his empowerment and so we have to spend time with him. So that's the thing I want you to remember in this Christmas season, kind of as you're going through all of this. 
um, holiday fervor. It's really hard to go shopping these days, isn't it? But when we're going through all of this stuff, I just kind of want to have you pause and, and say, you know, God might be speaking to you about some things. And he may be, you know, prompting you and maybe putting stuff on your heart. But to know that, you need to be in his presence. Let's pray. God, thank you for these beautiful stories, these familiar stories. And thank you for allowing us the opportunity to maybe see them in, in a new light, <clears throat> in a new way, <laughs> kind of a more human way. Because they're not superheroes in the Bible, they're, they're people like us. He may have chosen to use them in extraordinary ways, but ultimately, Lord, they were real people who had real lives and real sets of problems and real emotions and all of those things just like we do. You love them and you love us. And so I pray for everybody who is uh, um, gathered here, either live or online, that you would just reach down over this holiday season and remind them that you are present and that, uh, that you want to empower all of us to do things. But the signs, the signs might have something to do with scale <laughs> more than anything else. So Lord, pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.